Welcome back to Cloud Bar. I am Naima Cochran here with you to continue today's conversation for our music education, music entertainment education series. Uh, we just talked about building a sustainable career, but I think this particular check is going to be one that everybody is very interested in. I think it's super important. Um, we are talking about publishing, publishing 101. And Publishing is a part of the game that not even people in the game fully understand. So this is this is a this is a key conversation right here. And we have with us Rhea Pass Richa, uh, who is head of AR West Coast for prescription songs. And we have Ian Holder, who is VP of Creative at Sony ATV. Welcome, Rhea. Welcome, Ian. Um, so the very first thing I want to ask, and like I said in the last panel, I want to give a disclaimer that there are no one-size-fits-all answers, deals vary based on artists, etc. So I just want to throw that out there before we get in. But the first question is pretty general. What, what does it mean when we say publishing and what does a publisher do? And Rhea, I'm going to start with Amazing. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm stoked to be here and talking about publishing. Like you said, a lot of people, I think even in the industry, sometimes maybe don't fully understand what publishing is or maybe have misconceptions about it. Um, but essentially, you know, a publisher, we're representing the publishing, the writing copyright of a song. So we represent the songwriters, we represent producers, we represent artists that are writers or producers, um, and we essentially help uh, register and collect on their copyright. That's like the basic, simplest way of explaining it. Um, at, whereas like maybe a record label looks after the master side, the actual recording, we look after the actual like copyright and the song. So the um, difference like between the master and publishing, the difference between the masters and the publishing is what? So the publishing, I like to think of the publishing in my head, I almost think of publishing as like the sheet music, you know, like the actual notes and the lyrics and the melody and the actual composition of a song. Whereas the master is the recording of the song. So how it sounds, you know, Taylor Swift's voice on a song, that's the master of the song. That's her master recording of it. And that's normally owned by the label whereas uh, a publisher normally represents the actual copyright. So if I sung a Taylor Swift song, you know, I've, I'm essentially tapping into her copyright, but I'm not tapping into what she's doing on the master side. Um, and then obviously beyond that, you know, a publisher is really a you know, creative partner to our songwriters and our producers and our artists. It's, you know, brainstorming sessions with them. It's Setting them, setting them up in the right rooms. It's setting them up with collaborators. It's helping them brainstorm features and remixes. And again, anything pertaining to the song is what we're helping with. Um, so I guess that's the, the simplest way of explaining it. And anything you wanna jump in on there? Uh, hi again, and, and thanks for having me. And I, I think Rhea said it like perfectly. I mean, we're, we, we, we fit a lot of different hats. Uh, there's a technical side of what we do on paper uh, which Rhea touched on in terms of the collection and, you know, protecting rights and, and being advocates for the copyright. Um, and then, like she said, there's also the creative side. Uh, for the most part, we're, we're, we're on the ground first with a lot of these creatives. Um, you know, labels tend to really kind of look after the artists first. I mean, in terms of just like where their, peer, where their you know, attention is headed. Um, 
ours isn't necessarily just on the artist. It's on the it's on the creative as a whole, which means these that that's these songwriters, these producers. I mean, we say songwriters, we we encompass all song all songwriters. That's that's writers, producers, and artists that do write. Um, so a lot of the times we we're first in in line and, and we're in the front lines of the creative community of 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 really kind of talking to them, taking taking the leap of faith. Uh, first and foremost, early on, and and helping to uh, develop and foster opportunities in their career. So, um, I mean, Rhea touched on it all, and and she she did it so well, and and you know, I'd second all of that. <laughs> well, thank you both for that explanation. Um, one of the things that we that we strive to do with this series is kind of clarify um, some things that are that our creators and that people who don't work in the business and even some people who do work in the business understand parts of, but not all of. So we get a, we hear a lot of conversation thrown, I'm gonna say thrown around, cause I feel like it is thrown around about uh, people not owning their masters or uh, who owned whom's publishing and uh, you know, what, what, but, but people don't always understand what that means. Right. Or artists saying that, you know, in the 90s, I got beat out of my publishing or something, but people don't always understand what that actually means. But one of the first things I wanted to ask was you kind of explained, um, Rhea, the different the difference between publishing and masters, which are two different things. So am I correct in saying that if we're going to if we're going to simplify it very much so into physical items? Like you said, the publishing would be the sheet music that represents the actual writing and composition of the song. So writing the song, writing the, the music to the song, writing the lyrics to the song. And then once you record that song, that physical tape of that recording, which comes from the studio, is the master. And that's what the label owns because they paid for all that recording, right? So they so if you are sampling a song it's a master and a publishing situation. Whereas if you're covering a song, it's just a publishing situation. Is that what we're talking about? Exactly, yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's interesting because anyone can actually cover a song. Like I could, I could, I mean, no one would want me to, but I could go ahead and cover Bohemian Rhapsody and put it up on SoundCloud. And uh, no one could really stop me. And I'm sure you guys have seen so many covers on SoundCloud or Spotify or any of the different, you know, digital service providers. But um, anyone can cover a song. Basically, all the, all the publishing profits then would go directly to the copyright owners and the publishers who represent the, that copyright. But if you're going to use a master sample, you have to clear the actual, you know, master ownership from the the people that represent it so the labels or the artists that represent the master in addition to also clearing the publishing so that's sometimes where it gets a little uh, a little tricky but um yeah that's kind of the difference and then there's also something called interpolating which is similar yeah. to covers but it's you know if, if you basically I, I think the best example recently was um i think it was in halsey's without me she uh interpolated was it crimea river in the bridge, I think. Um, I think it was. Oh my god! I hope I'm not butchering. Or was it? Yeah, I think that was the song. Um, and but there's so many examples of it where you know it's clearly an original song, but then they interpolate a melody or a lyric from another. Would that be song. like Ed Sheeran using no scrubs in um, uh, 
girl, you know I want your love. Your love is me. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. And I don't know the details of all of, you know, the different situations. You know, uh, then basically it's kind of a similar situation where instead of 100% of publishing going to the original copyright owners, clearly it's an original Mm -hmm. song. They're just taking a piece from a pre-existing song. So what you would do is you'd go to the, again, the copyright owners and say, hey, you know, here's here's my new original composition, but I interpolate your composition. Can we discuss publishing splits? And, and I mean, that ranges from, you know, people saying, okay, I'll give you, you know, uh, I'll take 10% to I'll take 100% because I can, you know? So it's more of a negotiation. Interpolation still need to be cleared. Absolutely. Okay, I think that is a misconception that like if I'm not sampling and instead I'm interpolating, it's an original work. So interpolations still need to be cleared. Okay, I'm happy we got it. You need to be cleared if you want to retain publishing for the original work that you've done. If you're fine just saying, I'll, you know what, I'm fine not taking the publishing royalties. I'm happy to pay it to uh, TLC, you know, right. then fine. But I think most people obviously would want to retain their, their publishing. Right. So Ian, uh, she just mentioned publishing splits. What's a publishing split? So publishing publishing splits break down into shares. It's basically what your share is of a copyright. So um, typically, and not to get too uh, convoluted, but typically you break down 100%. Uh, There's no there's no a standard way of doing things. I mean, there's a there's a I you know there's what is a thought of standard where you know if you have two writers on a song, one is a producer and one's a songwriter. You know, ideally you'd think that they'd get 50% of you know each. Um, but it, it's really about the contribution you add to the to the copyright, um, yeah, and uh, you know really what you negotiate at the end of the day. Uh, so that's why I try to stay away from like, you know, a lot. There's a lot of terms that go around by people saying, you know, it's standard. You know, um, standard is relative when you're when you're dealing with what your what your contribution to a to a song is um but yeah but that's what splits is ultimately your 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 share and ownership of a, of a copyright so you guys thank you for that first of all the technical parts um because i do think there's a lot of there's a lot of confusion there because your area is so specialized and it changes constantly especially um as digital as digital music the digital music landscape changes right um so it's, it's, it's even a hard area to keep up with. What you might have known to be true last year may have changed already this year. Um, so I do have a couple of technical kind of questions I want to come back to, but I want to kind of start talking about how you guys identify talent because as publishers, you have a roster of talent. You sign talent yourselves and clients and, and you are like, you, like Rhea, you have an A&R title, you know, even though you're a publisher how how does that work how do you spot songwriters right how do you spot songwriters how do you scout talent or how do songwriters make themselves known to you to try to get a publishing deal what merits a pub deal um well i'll start i i I, first and foremost i mean there's there's two things i mean i i think that ria and i would have a lot of similar uh ways and how we look at it and i'm sure there's some differences too but Ideally, you know, at the end of the day, we're a business and we, we look for songs that we can collect on. So that's, that's you know, and, and it's a term that we use called pipeline. So the first thing we, we try to understand is if there's, is there pipeline to collect? You know, is there money that's out there that they've been doing? Uh, have they been contributing, you know, in the creative space that we can start collecting on right away? 
Um, and if there isn't anything to collect on, it doesn't disqualify you or that doesn't disqualify you from how I would view your talent or, or whether I'd want to get in business with you. Um, but that's just one component. Another component is, is how immersed are you in, you know, the creative community? You know, because um, at the end of the day, your peers are your biggest champions. Um, they really talk you up. They talk about, you know, who they work with. You know, there's a, a, an excitement level to it. So, you know, I pay attention to that. And then there's talent, you know, and, and I, I evaluate talent kind of based on a case by case situation. Um, the one thing I, I, I look at is progression, you know, from when you started to where you are now and, and, and what steps have you taken and, and how have you gotten up until this point? Because if you're not there creatively, if you're not that hit songwriter right away, at least the progression shows that there's there's validity in how you work and, and I can work with that. Um, so those are some of the things I look at. And, and it, at the end of the day, just just good people. You know, I, I'm music. The business we work in is a very emotional, uh, you know, business, you know, for, for obvious reasons. You know, an audience gravitates to the to an emotion of a song. So how a writer is able to uh, translate that emotion and also how they work with others um, is, a, is a very important thing. Because at the end of the day, um, if your role is, is primarily a songwriter, like you're not a, you know, you're not an artist at this, you know, focusing on, on your craft as an artist and working as a songwriter, working with other people. Um, if you're not that and you're solely a songwriter, that means you're going to be, you know, you're going to be taking charge in the studio a lot. You know, you're, you're going to be leading in, in your vocal direction and, and how you, you know, kind of steer a ship creatively. So I look in terms of how you communicate, how you how you talk to other creatives, you know, how you lead. You know, there's different tiers. You know, if you're if you're a producer and, or, and you know, you're a loop melody guy and that's your thing, then that's your thing, you know, and that and that's what I focus on. So I don't try to put everything into one box in terms of how I evaluate talent. I, I kind of judge it uh, individually at, at each individual time, personally. And what about you, Ria? Yeah, honestly, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, I think for, for me, it's obviously talent is paramount. And I think it's not just talent, because I think a lot of times, uh, you know, we get people that are like, oh, I, I want to be the next blank you know i want to be the next billy eilish i want to be the next you know max martin i want to be the next this and i feel like sometimes when people are chasing something it almost sounds a little stale because it's been done before you know like billy eilish is already on to the next thing max martin's already on to the next thing that they exist so i love when people come in with kind of a fresh perspective and something that i haven't heard before um and i know that might sound cliche but I like people who are just like, I'm doing my thing. I don't need to be the next anyone. I just want to leave my fingerprint on the music industry and, and my legacy. Um, so I think that's that's really important is just having that fresh perspective. Um, but Ian, I mean, you said it perfectly. I think I always say, even to my writers, I'm like the most important thing other than talent, I think, and sometimes I think it's even more important than talent is your work ethic. Yep. Um, because I know, you know, we, it's not a, it's not a normal nine to five job, even on the publishing side. I mean, you know, sessions st start early and they go till sometimes one, two in the morning and we're talking to our writers every single day. So if someone's calling me at, 
at midnight and, you know, wanting to talk about a session, I, I appreciate that hustle. You know what I mean? And, and I think it's important. Like, I, I don't want to work with people that are going to show up late or show up with an ego or be lazy or whatever. I think, you know, we've, we all know plenty of talented people who maybe don't make it because they just don't have that, that hustle and that work ethic. And you have to really, really want it. It's not an easy industry at all. It's a lot of reject rejection. It's a lot of no's. It's a lot of, you know, closed doors that you have to bang on. So, you know, someone who, uh, who will outwork anyone, I think in the long run will be successful. Um, so we really look for people that have that hustle. And, you know, I think, I think also too, for us, it's, it's, you know, yes, it's great if you have pipeline income, but I, I really think it's, it's like you said, it's just about being a good person and wanting it. Um, you know, like one of the first writers I signed was a writer named Emily Warren. I still work with her today and, you know, we're even signing writers together, which is so exciting now, but she was in college when I signed her, you know, she had no cuts. She had just started co-writing and, um, you know, she, you know, she went on to, I don't know if you guys are familiar. She went on to write new rules for Dua Lipa. She just did don't start now for Dua Lipa. She did don't let me down for Chainsmokers. So, but even before that, she always had the hustle and the work ethic and the personality that you're talking about, Ian, like just the, like, if I said, Hey, I don't think this course is strong enough. She'd go back and rewrite it three times, you know, until it was right. Um, so I just, I think that that's, that you can't undervalue uh, just that uh, level of, you know, commitment to your craft. So I'm glad you mentioned that uh, not everybody necessarily has to have that pipeline existing, meaning um, sometimes you all don't sign folks until they've already had hits on the table, right? But if there is somebody who, you know, hasn't actually had a song that's been recorded yet, but they have material. Is is it possible for them to get to you? Like, is it possible for them to get a pub deal? What can you guys talk, like? Is there a how does that work? Because people can send, you know, they can build a following with recorded music online that might get an A and R's attention and that might grow a fan base. But what do you do if it's just songs that you've written? What do we, sorry, what, what do we do? I mean, if you're song? a songwriter, but you haven't, I mean, I guess maybe you have to make demos of these songs. Maybe that's my answer. But if you're a songwriter, but you don't have any recorded material, how do you, how do you get yourself noted or any, you know, uh, commercial recorded material? How do you get yourself noticed as a writer? Like how does somebody like that catch your attention who's never actually had a placement with a signed recording artist? I mean, in this, in this day and age, it's probably easier than it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, but just yeah. just because of social media. You know, there's people that goes on that go on Instagram will do well before when they started doing uh videos, it was 15 second clips. Now it's a minute. Now it's even no more than a minute. So now you can put a whole song on on uh on uh you know Instagram. So you know to answer your question, yeah, there's 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 ways and and I think you know to touch on, you know, what I've said and what Rio was, was was touching on too. It's it's creativity now, you know. So like, we want to be, we want to get inspired and in how you're able to come up with a way to get get our attention too. You know what I'm saying? Because we vibe around that. Like going back to emotion. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it's possible. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, like, you know, seeing something on Instagram, it's gonna be cool. But I'm still gonna want to hear songs you know i'm still gonna want to you know because that's one side of it you know being a creatively 
creatively great at lyrics and singing is one one side, but then the other thing is your professionalism, you know, and 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 how we determine that and how we understand it. And because you know, for what Rhea and I do, we have to learn you and how to learn to get the best out of you, and and also how to um, you know put a person within our network and and put them in a position to be the best version of themselves and to make sure they're developing. Um, so. You know, you can't always tell that just from an Instagram click, clip or, or their page, you know, it might want to, it might spark my interest in wanting to know you and wanted to, to get to know you early and seeing if there's a way that, that we could, uh, you know, figure out how to work together. Uh, but at the very least, you know, you'd, you'd have my attention and we'd figure out and, and, you know, how we move forward from that part. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think especially right now, you know, I mean, I'm sure Ian, you have the same, but you know, even DM people on Instagram, like I get so many DMs and I try to listen to everything. And um, there's ways of, you know, not only getting in touch with publishers, but I think just getting in touch with the creative community and, you know, finding your peers and, and finding the people that you can collaborate and do your best work with. I think that that's the most important thing. I really always say like, build it and they will come. And I believe that about even after you sign a publishing deal, you know, like it is our job to, you know, yes, get you in front of A&Rs and get you cuts and stuff like that. But finding the people that you do your best work with and just growing with them and, um, you know, and using the different various platforms to get your music out there. Um, and one other thing I will say is, you know, uh, PROs like ASCAP and BMI are a great way. I mean, they're, anyone can sign up. They And I know right now in COVID, maybe not as much, but normally they have wonderful songwriter events and virtual, you know, uh, expos and stuff like that, where you can really network and get your name out there and ask questions and, and hopefully meet fellow collaborators. So what is the difference between a PRO, like an ASCAP BMI and having a, um, in a publishing company? Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, it, that's a good question. Cause there's always a confusion on that. So PRO, it stands for um, Performing Rights Organization. So they help collect money, not just in the U.S., ASCAP and BMI and CSAC and GMR are all in the U.S., um, but then there's PROs all over the world that help collect performance royalties, which is essentially anytime your music is played and performed, whether it's on, you know, the radio or TV or anything like that, they, they help collect. But um, obviously, Publishers are different in that obviously there's the creative aspect where we're, you know, actively pitching your records, setting up sessions, getting you into the rooms, all the collaborations that we talked about. But um, we also collect on a bunch of other things like sync and mechanicals and all of that stuff too. So uh, they definitely work hand in hand, but, um, you know, they're definitely have different functions as well. So, but I think, look, a lot of writers, I mean, I get emails weekly from our wonderful reps at the different PROs, you know, tipping me off to writers that have been solely, you know, working their way through the community and coming up with great songs. And again, I think I can't stress it enough. I think it's really about honing your craft. And even if you're, you know, I'm from Michigan, even if you live in Michigan or not in one of the main music cities, you know, I think you can still find people that you do great work with, especially nowadays online or in your town and start posting stuff, start sending your music around, start DMing the right people. And you'd be surprised at how far you can go with that. So I, I, one of the aspects I wanna talk about, if we're talking about hip hop, you know, a lot of, or 
a lot of rappers write their lyrics, so the publishing is an assumed aspect. But when you're talking about pop and R&B, the singer isn't always necessarily the songwriter. However, without, you know, again, without making a generalized, like every deal is different, but for the most part, unless you're a mega pop star, sustained income comes if you have like some, some publishing to come back on the back end and not just being like the, the sole performer gets one of the smaller cuts of the, of the album. I think it's, it's, it's arguably fair to say aside from the producers, songwriters, et cetera. So how exactly does publishing work as an asset for, for your writers and producers? Well, I, I like to put it as like publishing is the real estate game of the music business. You know, it's, it's, like you know, especially, especially in this, in this day and age, it's, it's an asset that is, you know, increasing because, you know, the technology is obviously, you know, with DSPs and, and, and I think we we're I, I feel like we're only like in the third or fourth inning, if, to use a baseball analogy of, of where we are in the new golden era of of music. Um, so, you know, it's 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 uh, you know, it's an asset that you need to treat very, uh, you know, very consciously. You know, you need to be very conscious of what it is and how important it is and, and you know, really just build a plan about a plan around hopefully you can build a plan about what, what, you know, how you see yourself, uh, you know, building out your catalog, you know, in the future, but, you know, every, every situation is different and, and, and you know, it's, it's hard to point out, um, you know, there is no right or wrong way in how to go about it because everybody's live, their livelihood is, you know, they, it takes different turns. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, it is, uh, you know, it's the backbone of the music industry. It's what's keeping it, you know, it, for when we were going through our, our downswings, it's what's kept the industry, you know, on an uptilt for the most part. And Ria, yeah. what would you add to that? No, I think it's, it's absolutely true. And, and I think, um, you know, again, uh, building your, what you, is called a catalog, a catalog of songs is, is super valuable and, and building your collection of cuts um, with artists and, and stuff like that is super valuable. Um, and that's honestly what we try to do as a publisher. We try to help our writers build that up. And, um, you know, again, I think uh, to take it like a step back, I think sometimes there's a misconception that, you know, publishers own all of the publishing in its entirety, but um, that's actually not correct. If you're thinking of maybe a song as uh, a copyright as 100%, 50% of that is called the writer's share, which always is retained by the writer. And then 50% is the publisher share, which actually we split with the writer. So we actually only get 25% out of that 100. So we're essentially partners with our writers. Um, they still I, own their full writer's share. I'm glad you brought that up because, um, and, and we talked about this in, in prep for this, there is, people talk a lot about the phrase, sell, they sold their publishing or somebody acquired their publishing and there is a negative connotation that goes along with hearing that news or that phrase um, because people don't really understand how the partnership works or the fact that, again, like you said, it's real estate publishing, might, it can be an asset even songs that haven't been written yet, then an artist can can get an advance against if they have an established track record. But but can you talk a little bit about that misconception of what 
they sold their publishing like really what it really is in reality not so much like the negative that people assume yeah i think i think you know you, you probably get that a lot in, in the hip-hop and r&b space uh because you know the rappers and, and, and creatives talk about it a lot they put it in their, their songs and lyrics um and they you know the good thing is we'll talk about the good thing the good thing is they're, they're, they're spreading a minute a message of ownership more ownership um getting better deals you know being aware of the type of deals that there are and and they're, they're spreading light on the importance of publishing however um i i think that that goes you know those phrases those those messages go around without context um because you know you can own your own publishing you can you can literally own it by yourself but then you have no per nobody to actually collect it for you you have nobody to help ex exploit your your copyright uh, which is through syncs through getting it to other artists through labels and so on and so forth um and you know it, and to go look for all that money that might be around that you don't know to look for yeah i mean you know you're, you're dealing with companies and and uh corporations that are you know established with finding how to you know pull these monies in in different places and different territories throughout the world, you know, and and throughout the yeah, like most your, of your songs getting played in a little French cafe. Who's collecting that money? You know, that's exactly. that's the publisher's job. Exactly. So you know, when you say you know I, I I'm not selling my publishing, like Rhea said, you're never you're never selling your publishing. You're allowing a, a company to participate uh, in, in in your works and and you're partnering with them. Now you can sell your publishing, but that's a that's a that's a totally different thing than what we're what we're talking about. That's a that's like literally a buyout. When you do these deals with with Rhea and I, um, you know we're 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 going to give you an advance um, that we negotiate. Um, there's going to be terms in that deal that we also negotiate that'll be tailored to what hopefully what your vision is and and how you see things moving. Um, but you know, it's it's for a certain amount of time. And again, you are owner of your catalog. You know, we are partnering it, and we are helping to build it out even more. Um, but we do not explicitly own it solely. You know, we 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 fight for you. You know, we're probably the first line of defense for you when when you know there's a claim dispute, or you know when a when a network says they love their song and you know they want to figure out how to put it on their show. You know, where the we're the line of defense that they come to first, because normally we'll already have a catalog that they want a piece of. You know, they will they'll come to us anyway because they have to do business with us. So that's how we're able to, you know, make sure you're getting appropriate uh, payouts for what you know you should be deserving for what a network does with your work. Or, um, you know, we probably already know the rates because we did that show before. You know, right. so so those are the benefits. You're <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, and we're, and again, we're not here to be bad guys. We're not here to say yes or no to any or anything. We feel like it just based off emotion. We re we literally come back to you and we talk it out. Like when I get sync requests from different networks or, or um, shows, you know, unless uh, a writer gives me, you know, the, the authority to just go ahead and approve, like I bring it back to them. I talk to them about it. You know, I make sure they know what they're asking for. You know, I make sure they know, um, you know, what they're capable of, um, and that they that they just have a bit of education to it. And and maybe that's probably from my BMI days when I used to work at BMI, making sure they 
they're fully aware of and, and comprehend what's going on. But ultimately, it's their it's their decision, you know, and and they have the ultimate right to choose, and we rock with them. So you know, it's really more important to look at at publishers as as partners. Um, but at the end at the end at the end of the day, every deal is different, and it stands you know it stands on its own two feet. But there are cases in which um, a writer does or can have their publishing or their, their catalog, I guess, completely bought out. So for example, without knowing the terms of the contract, you know, there's been this long ongoing thing with Mason Puff, you know, about they say he got $20,000 for his publishing. We don't know what songs that entails. We don't know, you know, what that really meant or said, but, but that would suggest that Mace is saying that he's not seeing anything off of his songs. There are, so there are cases where someone else can own your your copyright in totality. That's, that go for it. <laughs> no, I, it, it's it's dicey because I, I don't know what that entails, and it, it's hard to to touch on that because there's multiple parties. Um, I mean, not but, in that specific case, but I'm saying in general, are there instances in which a songwriter Someone else owns a songwriter's copyright in whole. Uh, only if they only if they sold it, you right. know. Only if they sold it outright, and yeah. they and they and they've sold those, you know, they sold their their writer share or you know what you can do. Um, but it, it's hard to kind of you know touch on that without you know. There's a lot of layers to that. There's a lot of specifics that you know kind of make that unique in and of itself. Um, so to answer your question, yes, but you should know at that point like you're you're literally giving up your catalog you know you probably would have would have done a full full buyout at that point yeah there, that's the differentiation between selling a catalog and like when you sell your catalog what i was talking about earlier where publisher owns 25% writer owns you know their 50% from their writer share 25% from their publisher share normally um, they can do whatever they want with their 75% so if they chose or if they choose to sell it and it's called a catalog sale and they can sell it to the highest bidder. And, and a lot of big writers and artists do that. You know, they, they can, again, when you're talking about publishing as an asset, the more, you know, hits you have, the more cuts you have, the more valuable your publishing asset is. So a lot of hit writers, especially recently have been selling their catalog up, you know, up until this date and getting a nice paycheck for it, but that is totally their decision. That's not something we as publishers force them to do or even are participate in, that, that's their share. Um, so that's very different from entering into a publishing deal because a publishing deal you can enter into at any point in your career. I feel like catalog sales for the most part are like you hear about like the Beatles catalog, like Michael Jackson buying the Beatles catalog back in the day. Like it's normally that level, so when you're when your asset is actually valued at something, that's normally when you do what's called a catalog sale. So, and I, and I think is it fair to say it's not it's not always a bad business move. It doesn't always signal desperation. Sometimes it just might be no, I, like somebody, I, 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 somebody can do more with this. Like I'm not necessarily getting enough. I can get more in one in one fell swoop than I can get residually over time, and I'm just gonna take that like that kind of. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. It, also, it, it, it also depends on where, where they're at in their life and their careers. You know, there's there's very well top, you know, a known artists, you know, that have already sold sold their catalogs only to start fresh. 
you know, and, and, you know, it could be a multitude of different reasons. Maybe they're not in the music game as they once were and they're ready to do different things. You know, ready, maybe they're ready to just cash out and, and try a different aspect of their life. Or maybe they just want to start fresh and they just and, and, and they want that. And there's just a comfort level of having a, you know, a boatload of, uh, of money, you know, in your bank account and, and feeling OK about that. Um, so I, I try not to get into what people should do, you know, with with it. Um, it's more about the education and they're aware of what their actions, you know, can cause and, and you know, how to go about managing it when they when they do make their decision. So for us, like I'm in the business, you know, we're in a, at Sony ATV, we're in the business of, of somewhat buying catalogs, but we don't go out on catalog hunts. You know, a lot, anytime we participate in, you know, in, in buying a catalog nine times out of 10, um, you know, an attorney has come to us saying, would you guys be interested? Because they're, they're taking calls, you know? Right. And so those are the instances where, where I would, you know, think about, you know, catalog purchases and stuff like that, but it's not a big part of, you know, well, it's not predatory. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a, it's a part of our business, but it's not our first, you know, especially now in this, in this day and age where we're at now, um, it's not a big, it's not that our main focus of our business. Yeah, especially I think as A&Rs, like for us, we're more so interested in finding the up and coming talent and again, developing and uh, hopefully again, hopefully adding value to their publishing assets. So maybe one day if they want to, they can do a sale if they want to, but they don't have, you know, right. So one thing I actually skipped um, before when we when we started the conversation, I want to come back to before we take some questions is how did each of you get into publishing you don't really hear people say i want to be i want to be a publisher i want to work for a publishing company um how how did each of you what did your career routes look like and ian i'll start with you uh well i i started as an intern as at a record label at epic records um which eventually during those times like i i use this analogy another analogy i use a lot of them by the way um, when I started in the business, I, I felt like I came in during a downswing. So it was kind of like getting to a party and, you know, everybody's so leaving. Epic or was it the <laughs> L.A. Reid epic? Oh, this was even before that. This oh, was, wow. uh, this was, uh, uh, Dave McPherson epic. Wow. So <laughs> that was Sony Urban. So this is like early 2000s. So, 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 not, yeah. so okay. I, started, I started at Epic Records and then as an intern going into an assistant, it merged, it took the the urban acts from urban acts from Epic and Columbian and merged into Sony Urban. Um, and then I was there for two years until they disbanded that and, and all the urban acts went to Columbia. Uh, and I was there for about a year and a half uh, as a coordinator. And then I got the opportunity to to work at BMI. You know, uh, they came and asked me if I'd be interested. To be honest, I didn't know too much about, I knew they were a part of publishing, but I had, I really didn't have much knowledge, but it was an opportunity. Um, and it, and it allowed me the chance to still be in a, uh, a part of the business where I could still utilize a lot of the contacts that I had made at a record label. Um, so a lot of my learning was on the fly. It was in real time. It was uh, trial and error, uh, which was probably the, best thing for me so like i came into it not really knowing much uh but but had a gang of knowledge uh within the 10 years that i spent at bmi um and then eventually i got the the call to see if i'd be interested in becoming a sony atv uh three years ago in 2017 
and yeah, and I've, I've, I've been here since. So it wasn't something where it's just like I was, you know, I can't say that I, I always came into this game wanting to be a publishing A&R or, or an exec for that matter. It kind of it kind of transitioned to that to that space, which I, I think it happened all or, organically. So Ian, you work under you work under Big John, right? Under John Platt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's he's widely regarded as one of the best in the game. Um, how why what do you think makes and Rhea, when we get to your career path, I want to ask you this too. What do you think makes a good publisher a good publisher? Because these aren't people whose names are known as as commonly as a bit as a John Platt outside of people who work in the business, but inside the business, like I think of Shakir, you know, like there there are people who have like every artist knows them even if they're not signed to them what do you think makes a a great publisher a good publisher there's a number of things but the first thing that comes to my mind is passion like immense immense passion i think at the end of the day where you know everyone on this is we're all music fans at the end of the day like if this can go away i think we'd all probably you know i know for me i i'd probably do this for free you know like i i I don't know what else I'd be doing, you know, so it's a lifestyle, you know, it's, it's, I'm passionate about what I do. I'm passionate about, you know, the emotion and song and I'm passionate about the people I work with and work for our songwriters. So it's, it's that um, number one to me. And then the second part is, is there's just an immense knowledge and curiosity that you need to have. Um, You know, the knowledge can come. Like I said, I I learned a lot of my stuff on the fly, um, but you know, there's a there's a passion to want to learn, to want to be better, and to want to help. A lot of what we do is, is it requires a lot of helping, you know, and holding hands and and developing and and having a lot of conversations with our writers that have nothing to do with, you know, the creative aspect of it. It's just life, you know. And so caring and and being passionate about the individuals that we work closely with, um, and really trying to understand the landscape of the business as it can continuously changes over time uh, sometimes you know i feel like every six months there's there's a there's a new change a new twist to, to our business um is is what will make you a, a great a r in the publishing space i love that um ria and you what what is your journey and what do you think makes like a great a great publishing executive oh that's such a good question um well in terms of my journey i feel like i feel honestly very very lucky to be here every day because uh you know i'm i'm a Indian girl from Michigan that has no ties to music industry and and like you Ian I feel like I just kind of you know learned and fell into places where I just hustled and had to kind of you know sink or swim in that sense um but I knew you know look I knew I was interested it like you said it starts from a passion of music like I knew I was interested in music since I was you know little mom who can I pay so I can work with Michael Jackson and she would be like well maybe one day if you're good enough like someone will pay you you know and you can be part of his team and I was like whoa um and I literally went from reading like liner notes to you know when I could start driving I would be driving out to shows and talking to bands I mean like I'll help you post flyers and whatever you need I'll build your MySpace you know and just kind of really hustling on like a very mini level um but uh no I mean I got lucky I, I got into NYU for college and started interning my freshman year and um, I learned a lot about what I didn't want to do along the way. I thought at first I wanted to be an a engineer in a studio. Um, so I kind of did a lot of internships in that sense um, and recording studios. And 
Uh, I worked at, uh, and interned at the A&R department at Atlantic Records my senior year, which ended up being a full-time job also my senior year uh, as an assistant and just kind of worked my way up from there. And um, along the way, even from my engineering times, I think I just became fascinated with the kind of behind the curtain of how songs were being made, because I think you touched on this earlier, but I was kind of shocked when I was like, whoa, most artists don't write their songs. Like there's, who are these people in here that I've never heard of before that are writing? Um, and I kind of be became very fascinated by that. Um, and when I moved out to Los Angeles with, um, with Atlantic Records, um, a big part of my job was just to kind of have my ear to the ground and find young writers and um, you know, kind of bring them in to write for our various Atlantic projects, uh, which led me to actually meeting a lot of the kind of OG prescription song writers, um, and then led to me coming over. And I was the one of the first A&Rs to join the team almost eight years ago. So uh, it's been fun. We've been able to build up our LA staff now to a team of like 10 people, and we've opened up a Nashville office, and um, it's just been an incredible ride. But um, yeah, I think, I don't know, I think you stole my word, which was passion, which I think is the most important thing because you have to be willing to eat, sleep, breathe, live, you know, for your writers. And even when I'm brushing my teeth, I'm thinking of like, oh, I should get so-and-so in with so-and-so and I should pitch this song here. And it's not really a job that you can clock in and clock out. Um, but I think the other thing is, and, and I'm always trying to kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, work on this myself is just not getting comfortable and not having like making sure you're always kind of looking ahead and having that forward thinking vision because um, I'm not to sound cheesy but I really do believe music can change lives it can change history and you know being able to realize how important our jobs are to find those you know songs that are not just going to win grammys and make money but actually move people um, I think is the most important thing um, so I think just understanding that and, and giving that weight to the job and under, you know, just following through with that, not just getting comfortable of like, oh, this is a hit on TikTok, so cool, which is great, great if it's a hit on TikTok, but I think we all are here because we love music and because we know how music can move people. So I try to always remember that every day. So the role, because you guys, again, are in A&R roles in, 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 of the publishing side, um, and you still have to spot talent, recognize talent, recognize what can be a hit, recognize what fits on a record, what sounds good for an artist, all the same things. How, how has your role changed, if at all, um, as streaming has become the prevalent and dominant um, music genre? Because like, for example, now, you know, the concept of a full album like listening to an album as a project versus listening to single by single is kind of diminished you know um sometimes people are chasing algorithms instead of chasing songs like has it changed how you guys approach what you do at all um yeah i, I think it, in in a certain sense it's it's changed a little bit of the structure of our business and how we do our deals um i think prior to when streaming took off um, you know, we did deals a certain way, which was based on, you know, MDRCs and, you know, which is like minimum delivery requirements and how many songs you deliver and so on and so forth. And, you know, it's kind of an ar archaic way of looking at it. It's not to say that those deals aren't, are completely not done anymore. They, they still are here and there. I, I personally don't do many of those deals, if, if any at all. Um, 
and the reason why I touch on that is because before streaming, um, those deals were centered around uh, major label releases. So if you put a record on, put a, a song out on E1, you know that might not count towards your, uh, you know, your delivery requirement, but the publisher can still collect on it. So it can still earn money for for the publisher, but it doesn't count towards, you know, your your delivery requirement, which can lead you to essentially another option which can get you another advance um so for the most part you know we've had to adjust and i think a lot of the industry has tried and, and you know first of all I'll, I'll also say is a bit of a sidebar you know every company and every person has their deals done you know they, they do their deals for their own uh systems and what works for them you know so again going back to every deal kind of stands on its own so it's not to say that you know don't ever do those type of deals there might be a reason to do it that type of deal in which it works for you as an as an artist um but there's so much independent music that's being released that you know is is that dsps allow for that that we had to we had to really kind of pivot um and realize that you know there's a lot of independent releases that are earning a lot of money. And, you know, in terms of trying to find a middle ground between a songwriter, we had to adjust how we do our deals, uh, which, you know, is it's typically based on a three year recruitment or, or whatever you're able to, to negotiate in terms of what works for both parties. Um, so I, I, you know, from a creative level, um, it's allowed us more opportunity to see more talent because there's so much music that it's, we're consumed by music daily, um, not just from what people send to us, but just what what gets flooded, you know, out on the internet. Um, so the creative aspect is a lot more folks that we have to pay attention to, and, and we have to be on our p's and q's as to what's happening in, in our in our space. Um, but from a deal standard and a, from a deal point or deal points, I should say. You know, we've had to pivot in, in trying to match what could be, you know, beneficial for both parties and how we move forward, you know, in, in this in this business. Really? I mean, yeah, I, I just have to also add, I think on the creative part of it all, I think it's actually way more fun now because I feel like people are able to release music more free or more freely than ever. I think they're able to release music more quickly than ever. And, um, you know, it used to be the old model was, okay, you work on an album for a year, then you release the album, then you tour for a year, then you maybe go back and finally start writing for another album. But I think, you know, obviously technology, both on the recording side and on the distributing side now has made it just so much, you know, it's just freeing for an artist. Like if you have an idea, you can record it that same day. You don't need to rent a studio. You don't need to rent live, even live musicians or anything. You can literally record it and put it up the next day. Um, on your, you know, choice of, you know, site or whatever. And I just think it's so cool. And I think for us, you know, as creatives who are always looking for talent, we, you know, it's just made it more, um, I guess it's kept us on our toes a little bit more, you know, there's always new things to be looking at and new ways to discover music and discover artists and discover talent. And um, I don't know, I, I also think, you know, the music that's being made is, is definitely, it's it's a sign of the times too you know i think it's it's way more kind of um you're not so beholden to genres anymore you're not so beholden to a cohesive album you can kind of you know you can just as easily 
put out a feature with a K-pop band as you can with a country artist, you know? And, and I think that that's so cool for, for artists to have that uh, creative freedom and not be so um, put in a box, if you will. So I want to go back, thank you both. I want to go back um, to something you said at near the top of our conversation, Rhea, and this might not be something that you guys can explain at length, but um, like I was saying before, there's a lot of confusion amongst um, either aspiring artists, indie artists, uh, new artists want to be about these different rules about copyright and, and, and infringements and things that, you know, DMCA's and all that good stuff. And I know not all of that is the published thing, but you mentioned specifically that anybody can do a cover. So you said like, you could put a cover of a song on YouTube and the publisher would be able to collect the monetization off of that. So does that mean that if you play your own cover of a song, you yourself don't have to go and seek a clearance that the publisher will be able to find and monetize the music? Yeah, I mean, technically you could, you know, ask for clearance, especially if you want to post something and make sure it's like totally kosher. But um, yeah, no, uh, it's our public, it's as a publisher, it's our job to go in and claim covers and collect the publishing. And, um, you know, you can still collect on the master side of it, um, which is good. And, and whether that's, you know, via Spotify or YouTube or whatever. Um, so yeah, covers, uh, you know, but again, you just have to know then you're giving up all of the publishing and you know you're giving up all of your own rights to if you're do if you're the person who performed the cover yeah because you obviously you don't, you don't actually negotiate a deal no percent your... goes to however as ian was saying publishing splits so 100 yeah. percent of the copyright publishing money goes towards however it was split up amongst the original writers um because obviously you're not even though you're kind of putting your own spin on oh, it you're not really like anybody anything. who does a cover needs to understand they're giving up all that got you, got you, got you. You can retain the master side of it. That as long as you're not, you know, uh, sampling or using a master sample, you can retain uh, your master share of it, the recording part of it. Got it. Um, let's see. Somebody asked in the chat, and and I'm gonna ask this quick question, and then I'm gonna ask each of you guys to leave a final thought. Somebody asked in the chat, is there a difference between the major publishers, or is it just the same thing as the difference between the major label labels? No, I mean, you know, essentially we, it's theoretically, it's, it's the same, but, you know, you know, in terms of what we, what we do, but then you're going to, you know, there's, there's, you know, I think we can both talk about advantages and disadvantages for both, um, you know, for, and it's all relative, you know, for someone to come to a Sony ATV, which we're, we're a much bigger, heftier uh, organization. Um, one can take that and find the positive in that and say, well, you know, there's more tentacles around the world, you know, in different territories because we have offices everywhere throughout the world. So that's a, that's a way to get plugged in into different, different genres, different markets. Um, if you know how to use it, you know, it, it could be great. You know, on the other side, someone can simply say, you know, it's too big for me. You know, I need more of a personal connection, which mind you, we do provide, you know, it's, it's, I'm just talking about perception of it all um, because we, we like to think we operate kind of like a boutique, you know, in a sense, in terms of just like how we operate with our, with our own space, you know, with, between the executives that I work with um, and the creatives that we have, we, we, we try to take as much of a hand-on approach as possible. 
Um, and probably the other difference would be this, the, the, the catalog that we, we control and that we have. You know, I think Sony ATV, we're, we're big, but a lot, for the most part, we're big because we have a huge catalog, mm-hmm. which could also serve as an asset to our writers because we can figure out how to, you know, get through red tape a lot quicker. Um, so, you know, I, I think we get the misconception that because we're a big corporation, you can easily get lost in the shuffle. But, you know, for the most part, the, the reason why we're this big is because we just control a big, you know, a big sizable catalog that we work with. Got it. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's all, I, just to touch on what Ian said, I think it, it all boils down to the team, right? You know, I think every, you know, whether you go with a, we're technically, Prescription's technically a boutique publisher um, or an indie publisher, if you will, but, you know, it's the same kind of maybe mis- like the opposite uh, misconceptions of like, oh, you're small, so maybe the reach isn't as big, um, but you get the hands-on approach or whatever it might be. Um, but, it, you know, it's, I think no matter where you go, as long as you're hustling and your team's hustling, I mean, you know, even right now, even in COVID time between, you know, Doja Cat, who we publish and Dua Lipa and Juice World and all these things that these big singles that we've had, we still have the reach. But I think it boils down to the people, you know, and I think that when you're asking what the difference is between each publisher, normally when you're shopping for a publishing deal, you just got to find who you click with. And I say that to even people when I'm trying to sign them. I'm like, I love Sony ATV. I work with them all the time, you know, and we set up so many sessions together. So I, I think it's all just about, even though there's sometimes competition, I think it's all just about who you click with as a creative and who you feel like is going to be with you through the ups and downs. And there's no right or wrong answer to that. You just got to go based on um, building your team out in the right way. Um, I thank both of you guys for your candor. We actually even went a little bit over, but I still want to give you guys the opportunity to leave our viewers with a final, maybe a, a final gem, a learning that you carried with you, a resource that you always go back to, just what a final thought might be Ian. why don't we start with you um i I guess the final thought that i'd have is is make your own experience out of this um and try not to let anybody else's experience cloud yours for better or worse um you know take what you can be as open as you can um because it's all these experiences are what's going to help you develop you know and 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 how you use them is what's going to help you transcend through any hurdles or any obstacles you might have. So um, treasure them. Um, I know we, I know we as creatives and I say all of us um, because, you know, though we work in different spaces and we're not the actual, you know, ones writing the songs or, 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 you know, contributing to the songs, we are creative in our own right. And so, um, you know, what I, how I like to view it is just like, you know, these are what shape our being. These are what shape how we, are able to communicate and how we're able to pay it forward, quite frankly. So um, really enjoy them uh, because the grind is probably going to be the best part of the business. You know, we all we all are fighting for that carrot. Even in the stages that Rhea and I are at, are at now, we're trying to get further. You know, we're, we're competitive, we're hungry, we want more. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, sometimes, you know, that 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 early part of that grind, that beginning is the best part that you always look back and you just kind of miss, you know, because it's what helped build your, build your foundation. So I would just say cherish that, um, enjoy the ups 
and the downs because the downs are what's going to help, you know, shape you. And there's no way of avoiding that. That's the best way to learn because I've, Lord knows I've, I've taken a lot of downs. Um, in the last, in the last session too. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, and wear it as a badge of honor and enjoy the ride because it's going to be, you know, it's going to go for some loops. I love that. Rhea? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think just to add to that, I always like saying uh, this, you know, journey, whether it's as a songwriter or as an artist or whatever your creative path is, it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So, you know, just uh, find the people that you click with, uh, build your team around you, build your collaborators around you, um, and just always focus on doing your best work and work that you're proud of, I think is the most important thing. Don't try to chase anything. Um, and you know, I think again, just, it all boils down. I think what I love about our job is we're very much at the heart of the song, you know, nothing, nothing can exist without the song itself. So always, always keep writing, always, always keep honing your craft, always, always keep building your team around you and, um, you know, good things will come and, uh, yeah, I'm excited. And, and I, I also just have to say for any females watching, we need more female writers and producers yeah, out there. Yeah, and engineers. engineers and all of that. We need that representation and yeah. um, there's a dearth yeah. of women behind the boards. Yeah, we definitely and you know what? That would be a whole other conversation. We That's need a to whole different conversation, but I just have to say publishing and writing and producing all of that. Thank you, Rhea, for saying that. I should have brought that up earlier, actually. Thank you both for your time. I appreciate you. For those of you who are watching, our last conversation, which actually dovetails from this one very nicely, is the evolution of the A&R. Stay with us. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Thank you both.